This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor, and this is Then What? With another story of a big then what business moment which transformed into real success made possible by real leadership. What we realized really early on is that even with Jen's, I mean, kick-ass skill set in brand marketing, and with my skill set in my field, way beyond the maturity level of our company, we actually have members in our management team who are all equally to maybe better than Jen and I are in their field. And I attribute that to, to the success that we've been able to get this quick, this fast. Inspired by family trips to Belgium, enjoying breakfast featuring dark chocolate spread, husband and wife team, and co-founders of Leco, Jennifer and Bram saw an opportunity to bring a 50-year-old Belgian dark chocolate spread recipe to the United States. Combining their considerable high-level professional experience, including Jennifer's success with Red Bull, together they have launched a menu of mouth-watering chocolate spreads, enjoyable even by consumers with food allergies or diabetes. Jennifer and Bram take us inside how they went from an idea to a physical product, how they pushed past the friction of a pandemic, the importance of giving back and storytelling as critical components of the Leco brand, why keeping the company moving forward must assume that you've never actually made it, and how that should always lead to asking then what? Thank you guys, first of all, for joining me again this morning. I appreciate it. I wanted to ask, so what would you consider to be the ultimate success for your company? And what made you feel like you've had your made it kind of moment? Success, it's all what you define success, right? Some people go strict monetarily. That's not how we or I look at it. I would say a moment of success would be the following, that I fly back to Europe, which we do often. I sit in an airplane and I finally can afford business class because we did well enough for ourselves. I'm not cramped in the back. We wake up in the morning and somehow LACO is part of that breakfast in business class. Mm -hmm. And the person next to me tells me how awesome LACO is, where they found that, and if I've ever tried it. That would that be a really cute moment to myself where I would be like, okay. Because then I can be like, well, yeah, we made that. People are like, what? what? <laughs> Who made? Nobody makes that. That would be to me one of those pinch moments where I would be like, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, no, I think, you know, definition of success uh, from my perspective is kind of a similar story to Brahms. It's, you know, being in the grocery store and you're walking down the spreadable aisle or maybe you're walking past one of our you know, displays and someone looks at you and says, hey, have you tried this stuff called Leco? It's really delicious. And knowing me, I probably wouldn't fess up to my connection. I would probably be that uh, silent consumer and say, tell me about it. What, what makes it so great? To me, I think that's the best compliment you can ever have in an organization is when some organ someone organically discovers your brand or your product and they love it without being persuaded by you know the owners or someone within the company. So I think Personally, for me, that would be a moment of success. Probably internally is just when I, you know, I, I always value success on a weekly basis when the team, all of us do something great. It's that small wins that we celebrate. 
Uh, we just did a great campaign for Halloween and just the whole team worked together like a well-oiled machine and you just were high-fiving afterwards and that you feel the <laughs> feeling that you have afterwards. So that's another smaller benchmark to success that I like to have like every week or every month. So. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I feel like, you know, when someone recognizes you for your hard work, that's when most people feel like, okay, they've made it, you know, or they've, they've gotten there. Have you guys had that moment or when do you guys think you will have that moment of the made it kind of thing? That's kind of a big question. I think there's a couple ways you can look at it. I'll answer it from my lens. For me, we've made it when someone sends me a text or a post or an email and they're losing their mind over how much they love the product. That I feel like are little benchmarks of where we've made it. I think there's a larger 30,000 foot view of how people see how companies make it. And I'm sure Brahm will chime in on that a little bit. But for me, I always feel like we make these benchmarks of making it when consumers organically love our product and they're just losing their minds because it's fantastic. You know, I'll tell a quick story because it's a fun story. So we're very involved with our local swim team. And uh, when you're on a swim team, you always play different roles and, you know, you're, you're, you're judging the line or turns. And I'm sitting there at a swim meet and I've got, actually, I'll, I'll show it even though you'll be able to show the podcast. I've got a pop socket. It says, let go and I'm holding on to it. And another swim mom next to me goes, oh my gosh, that let stuff, where'd you get that pop socket? Because that is delicious. We found oh, it at a um, gluten-free festival and we fell in love with it. And I'm looking at her because I, I know her and I'm like, is she joking? She's like, you've got to go buy it. It's at Jewel. And I'm like, do you know we own the company? And she's like, oh my God, I didn't know that. She's like, I met some foreign guy and I point to Brahm across the pool. I mean, that foreign guy? And she's like, I just did the math. That's you guys. So for me, that we were laughing so hard. I'm like, that's us. You know, so that was a nice made it moment because it was so organic and so just genuine. And I loved it. And uh, the fact that the, that our brand was recognized and it was discussed was a nice made it moment. So Rob, what's your perspective? The idea of, of having made it seems like you hit the terminal on the train ride, right? I don't think that way. Everything is progression. Life is progression. I'm an immigrant. I, I lived in Belgium until 28. <laughs> I came to the States. There's that saying from Richard Branson who says, if your dreams don't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that you can actually grow in your dreams and your dreams become bigger. And somehow... Maybe it's how I'm wired. It's, 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 I'm just looking at inner reflection here. The goals, they grow with me, right? We, we are on a path with LECO. We know what we try to achieve with LECO, but achieving that portion of the build of LECO is, is only yet another station in the building of our lives. And, and there's no such thing as a moment where we will have made it because we have clear objections why we're trying to build LECO. We can go into detail at a later stage, but then once you've built LECO and say you get into a position, how do you carry that forward, right? Yep. There's yep. people who are helping us, both advisory, mentorship, financially, to build LECO to where we are. So what is the position that we are in five years from now that maybe we are in the position to pass it forward, to carry mm -hmm. it forward? And, and that is then the next stage. Yeah. So yeah. There is truly, in my mind, for me at least, not such thing as that's when I made it. And if I truly have to look at myself, where we made it is, is if we built a very strong family bond with a family union and where our girls grow out to be amazing individuals 
while at the same time, Jen and I, as husband and wife, are able to do what we love to do, and that is build a kick-ass brand and keep our life interesting. Like, that would be the moment where I said I've made it, but <laughs> yeah. not, not from a corporate business financial objective. I mean, that's just secondary to all. Yep. No, I agree. And it's always, then what? What's after this? What's after this? Like you said, it's a progression of your business and your life as well, right? So... Brian, from you being an immigrant and Jennifer, I know you worked in part of the growth and the product of like Red Bull, right? How did you guys come together to create Letgo? Like how did the work you did for Red Bull and everything you learned there get you ready for the launch of this company basically? Yeah, you know, it's actually, it's funny and I'm going to really peel back the onion here. There was a friend of mine who, who isn't with us anymore, Bob Unver. And I remember my early days of Red Bull and I was young and he, he was probably about 12, 15 years, my senior. And he would do all the, the filming and the videography for all the events. And I remember he would look at me across the table and he's like, I want to see the guy you married because I want to try to figure out anyone's going to keep up with you. <laughs> and, uh, and he's still, those words are just so dear. He was such a great guy. And I choke up a little bit because he just, we had so many great moments and I wish he would have been able to meet Ron because I think when we first met, what really attracted us to each other was not only the same values and, and zest for life. Cause I think if anyone were to meet us, we're not a normal family. In fact, I've got this cheesy sign in the house that says, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice normal family because we're not, we do things a little bit differently in a great way. But one thing we're very driven is to do great things. And we've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. So I think from the get go, even when we were dating, I think we always kind of talked about the what if, and in different aspects, right? And it's evolved over the years. And I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit, uh, I'm sure, sweetie, about our early days and the go-kart tracks and working together and how we learned not to work together. But we also bring such amazing skills to the table in our own verticals that they're very complementary. I mean, do we have moments of discussions? Of course, and that's healthy in any business. Yeah. But really, it's, it's the ways of working. So, you know, chime in, sweetie, because I know we've got some yeah, fun the, stories there. Yeah, so... I mean, the question was, how, how did we go from Jen in Red Bull and myself in corporate roles? I mean, the question is, how do you land to a product as Leco from Jen, her backgrounds in Red Bull and in brand marketing and my background that is international business where I was operating and running U.S. subsidiaries of European technology companies? And so... I believe that along the road of, of 20, 25 years in our professional career, we've, we've always seek to fill our backpack with skills, mm -hmm. right? And load up on those skills and try to personally grow and, you know, gain those skills. And then comes a moment of stagnation. And then the question is, do you go and repeat the trick for somebody else, utilizing the skills you have in your backpack? Or can you now tap into those skills and bring those forward and build your own company? And so from the beginning, it's always been a discussion and, and a topic of conversation between Jen and I that the latter was the objective. Somehow unspoken at times, at other times explicitly spoken, that we seek that search of can we build our own company? And the moment was actually very defined. It was in 2014 where somebody kept me a post of a Belgium company, very well known for their cookies that they give out in the airplanes. Plane. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I was kept a post of what that company was seeking to do with their spreadable products. And it really drove 
to Jen and I, the desire to go and explore the spreadable category because we had this product that I brought back from Belgium on my frequent travel, which is the product I grew up on, which is a Leco-like dark chocolate spread. And the question to us was not then what, but what if, Mm -hmm. right? Is the market ready? Is anybody doing this? What should we do? And Jen and I are both scholars of study. What we mean with that is, is that First of all, I applaud any 20-year-old who thinks that they can conquer the market because I was 20 once and I thought that as well. But then you turn gray and a little bit older and then you learn <laughs> a lot and then you're, you become much more systematic in things. Yeah. And actually, the ideal age to try your own thing is in your 40s because you're at that pivot point. You have enough you know, background, but you're young enough to still keep going and try it, right? So it's a pivotal moment. And if you look at the successful entrepreneurs and startups, they're actually done by people in their 40, right? For many reasons, and we can expel, you know, extend to that. So here we are, 2014, where we truly started, is the American market ready? Can we do something with this product? And we took our ample time. We took our ample time for three years to really draw the blueprint of what has now become LECO. And it wasn't until every aspect of that blueprint we felt we had the answers to and we had investigated and done our research so that we had a solid business plan. It took us three years to then decide to incorporate LACO in January of 2017. And even then, in January 2017, it was a very systematic approach. And so how we landed at LACO is that it truly is First of all, it's a product of our marriage. It's our third child. (laughs) But it truly is a marriage of our skill sets. And if people wonder in this, and it is a high stress environment because this is a very heavy investment story, right? You have to invest a lot of money. And if you do that, not only by deferring income, right? Leaving a high paid job behind, which both of us have done now, but then you have to invest pretty much everything you've built up in equity to get to this stage. Well, let me tell you, if you're weak and failing, you can't stand stress and financial stress, then don't even start. So to even in that kind of an environment to then flourish and make it work, it's only because one, we're a very strong couple. And two, because we truly have figured out how to work together. And that is, we each stay in our own lane. Mm-hmm. We figured out, as Jen referenced, that, that back in the go-kart days that I had, we kind of worked together and we figured out, okay, this is not going to work if we do this. So we're Mm -hmm. not working together because we were working together in the wrong way. And that has allowed us to learn how to work together in the right way. And then you look at LECO and it really is a complementary product to Jen's brand marketing skills. I mean, who can go back and look at 18 years of building or be part of building the brand of Red Bull, which is one of the strongest consumer package brands. Drinking it right now. You got your sugar free. Talking about Thank you for your support. Talking yeah. about a brand uh, in the last three decades, four decades, there's not a stronger brand, consumer yeah. brand being built. Having been part of that for 18 years clearly positions you in that realm where then my skill set, I operated a company in the US, 120 employees, 75 million in revenue in the graphic arts where we were uh, managing as a subcomponent of the business, a logistics chain of CMYK color toner. Well, If you have a banana, a coconut, a caramel, and an original chocolate in four flavors, well, logistically, there's no difference in transporting containers of CMYK color toner versus four flavors of Leco. I mean, it's the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's how we landed on Leco. So 
it's interesting. And I want to know why this product, right? What made you guys give up? Like you said, it's not just like financially and everything, but it's also your time, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not something where you just start it up and you spend five hours and the company goes, right? Like it is a lot of time to build a product and to sell the product and be where you guys are now. But what drove you guys to pick this? This is what you wanted to do and spend your life doing. Yeah, I mean, really, it's uh, it, it really does come back from, you know, the family, the marriage, the connection overseas. So, you know, as Bob mentioned, we would go back and you know, we still go back a couple times a year to Belgium. And when we were dating. I remember the first time I met my now in-laws, you know, every meal had chocolate somehow. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, is this because I'm here? I mean, that's what I thought. I'm like, no one eats this much chocolate. Is this a special no. occasion? I mean, breakfast, yeah. right? You know, yeah. we'd go for a glass of champagne, chocolate, you know, dessert, everything. I was blown away. And Brahm was like, Jen, no, we eat this much chocolate here. You know, the good description I like to say is, you know, as Americans love peanut butter, you know, the Belgians and Europeans love chocolate. So it became such a natural part of who we were and part of our lifestyle. And we would bring the different chocolate spreads back from Europe. We would love, you know, and eat those, you know, for breakfast and kind of adapt that European mentality. And then we'd have a couple extra jars as well at times, and we'd give it as gifts. We saw our friends just lose their mind over it. And it was literally that what if question. I remember we were on the back deck at, you know, Mama and Papa is with Brom's parents. And I'm like, Brom, what if we brought this to the States? And Brom's like, exactly. You know, and it was a collaborative discussion. And then you start those what if questions. Okay, what would that look like? Would it need to be refrigerated? Is it shelf stable? Okay, with my background at Red Bull, I know what it's like to grow to scale. Rebel didn't launch, you know, in one fell swoop in the United States and we launched in certain markets. And we really started taking those areas of expertise with our background and really kind of poking holes in it and saying, okay, what, what if? Finding the right contract manufacturers was important for us as well. And really kind of sitting and, and sketching out everything that it could be. And it didn't happen in five hours. It was, I mean, sweet you think, it was like probably about a year of just on and off discussion. Yeah. And so... Why we landed on chocolate spread, right? It's part of the methodology, and I'll take you back to the process of how we got to this point, is that you you study the market and what you don't want to be is a me too, right? What you don't want to be is too late. We've studied the food market clearly, and you see the trends uh, going back 15 years ago. How are big corporations launching new brands? Are they doing that or are they not doing that? The crisis of 07, 08, 09 clearly played a role in how companies, food companies, look at the innovative market right now. As Jeff Bezos says, 25, 30 years ago, it was a large CPG company who positioned a new brand and shoved it through the consumer's throat as this is the new brand and you will take it, right? That's what happened back then. Mm -hmm. Now, introduce an Amazon, introduce new ways of, of bringing food to consumers with a trend of healthier products, right? More authentic products. So there's a consumer undercurrent that has come and established itself within the CPG world. That's mm-hmm. one. It has become somewhat easier to create your own products, right? The barrier of entry is, is there. You can, for very low cost, make your own labels and put it on a jar and create your own products. What is still the most complex element of all this, it's not the entry. It is the next step on scaling, right? How do you get your product with very limited means in a world where you need to play among the really, really big players? Because 
you can start your own barbecue sauce, go to a little farm stand, and with a $15,000 investment, you can feel you're in business. But how do you get that? And how do you get your product then in 15,000 stores nationwide trying to reach in that unmatched potential of 330 million consumers? But that's a whole different story, Mm -hmm. right? And so it starts with finding a product where you're not too early and you're not too late. Here's a funny story. When Jen started working with Red Bull, a gentleman walked up to her and said, girl, you seem to be a real nice lady. You should look for a real job because this can is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah. Oh, my he's God. Like, he's like, might want to think about quitting your day job because I don't think this energy, this Red Bull thing is going to take off. <sighs> Obviously, it Ridiculous. did pretty well. I like to think. <laughs> no, yeah. but, but yeah. maybe, maybe Lahari it is, but it yeah. shows what it means when yeah. you're early. When it's early, you need to educate the market. Mm-hmm. Educating yeah. the market. I had that experience with the go-kart industry we're in. Very complex. Very oh, yeah, yeah. time-consuming and, and very costly. Clearly something that we, as, as a family-owned startup, cannot carry that cost. So one really important element for us to make a decision towards LECO was, here's Nutella, right? Let's talk about yeah. the elephant in the room. Nutella is the Coca-Cola of the chocolate spread. It's mm-hmm. a worldwide brand. Everybody in the whole world knows Nutella. Well, one of the appealing elements to build Leco and land on the product is, what is the Pepsi to that Coke? But tell me, what is the Pepsi to Nutella in our category? It's not there. Yeah, it's, there's yeah, nothing. So it's really rare. Yeah, literally it's, nothing. Yeah. There's a private label, Yeah. right? Because even in private label, the grocery world, the, the retailers, mm-hmm. when you have a clearly established brand, and I pardon Coca-Cola and Pepsi here for the referral to both mm-hmm. brand names, yeah. but when there is a clear Coca-Cola, the private label version is always the Coca-Cola. So when Kroger makes its own chocolate spread, it, they go after that market segment leader. That's who they go after. Yeah. But you see in every product from cat litter to tissues to uh, detergent to everything in grocery, for every Coca-Cola, there's a Pepsi, okay. there's an RC, Right, as in the in the U.S. consumer, for every McDonald's, there's a Burger King and there's a Wendy's. The Wendy's, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. and and Chick Fil A now. Yeah. yeah. For every for every consumer brand, and and here you look at, but what is that? What is that second and third to Nutella? Yeah. So that was an element we're like, but why is it? Then the question. It's not because Jen and I are so smart that we were the first one to ever try to make an alternative brand and to help grow and create a dynamic in that category. We're not the first ones who ever thought about that. So what happened that this did not happen yet? Mm-hmm. That's part of your study. And then you look at the spreadable category. You look at what happened to the nut butters, the new dynamic. What happened to that big Belgian food company that brought their cookies to the U.S. and now has a cookie spread, right? And that is a dynamic that we were following for, you know, six, seven years. And ultimately, you line up all these criteria of what you feel needs to be the right way. And then when a product that is in front of you feels so natural that you're like, well, duh, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm yeah. Belgium. You have yeah. Belgium chocolate. That is the yeah. number one or number two food association with the country of Belgium is beer and chocolate. Chocolates, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why Amazing. not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And that's how we landed there. A couple of things I want to add to that. One is the point of differentiation between us and Nutella too is we, we're, we're not free spread. So 
we don't have hazelnuts. And I think everyone's got their own consumer palette and perception. There are people who really are passionate and love Nutella, and then maybe those who don't necessarily care for that taste. So it's a nice alternative spread to the market that's a nut-free recipe. We're also vegan, gluten-free, and dairy-free, and non-GMO. The product happens to be that. We didn't set out and be like, we need to make something that's vegan. It's just, it's a great product. Plus, with our flavor profiles, we've got you know four different flavors that really appeal to this broad demographic of the United States. It's the original dark chocolate, the caramel sea salt, the coconut, and the Caribbean banana. So really yeah. doing something very different in that spreadable category. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media at LN Accounting and visit us or contact me directly at lnaccountingcpa.com and subscribe to Then What Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. Are you looking for financial advice or an outsourced CFO or maybe just help with your books or financials? Well, let's talk. As a listener of the podcast, I want to offer you a free consultation call with me. Go on our website at lnaccountingcpa.com and book a call with me today. Again, that's lnaccountingcpa.com. When you reach out, please make sure to mention this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. So kind of speaking of Nutella and, you know, looking at that, the packaging that Letgo has and the packaging that Nutella has is kind of similar, right? Like I'm not saying obviously the product is similar, but the packaging is kind of similar. Was that purposefully done to kind of make it look similar to Nutella, but different in that way? No, I mean, and really, if you look at Nutella, they've got a specific shape to their jar. Mm-hmm. Really, our packaging, so a consumer has about three seconds to make a decision as they're walking down the center aisle. Yeah, It's extremely short. So, you know, when you build a brand, and especially a brand like Lecco, which is a unique name, which it stands for Lecker Chocolate, which means delicious chocolate. It's a fusion of two words. Yeah. Lecker is a, is, a, is a Flemish word that means something delicious. You wanted to be able to describe your product by having a consumer look at it. So when you look, it's a very clean label, and you can definitely pull away its dark chocolate or dark chocolate and coconut, dark chocolate and caramel. And we really wanted a nice clean label that really kind of popped out in the category. And Harry, I think if, if you say that we're similar to Nutella <laughs> or, or in a glance, I would say that, that holds for more brands, right? Look at no, Justin's. Yeah. Yep. Right, Justin's, no, is, Justin's we have the same white similar. cap. Yep. We have the same white cap, a lot of white. We retained a brand agency, right? And you do a study and, and you look at what are the attributes that people associate mm-hmm. with a label and a product, right? And, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why a lot of these products are appealing to some of those attributes because that's what you want people to capture their eyes with, you know? And here's one thing that I actually want to point out. So we do not genuinely do not see Nutella as our competitor because that's not how that works, mm-hmm. right? What we're yep. trying to bring is a new dynamic to the spreadable category, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's an undercurrent of interest in the market for certain food attributes, and we hit on those attributes. And that is why the buyers at Kroger gave us the chance to go nationwide. That is why the distributors are endorsing us, is that... Nobody is interested. If your approach is to go to Kroger and say, 
we have something and we think we can take market share from Nutella, then the Kroger will deny you that opportunity because if they already have, let's say, 100 in revenue, they're not willing to take a risk to still have 100 in revenue and give you five of that and have Nutella go to 95. Yeah. That's not it's the not game. It's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's, they don't yeah. care. Yep. What they really yeah. want is something that adds 10% or 5% to the 100 to mm-hmm. and hope even better. If the 100 can become 105, 110, and you can add five or 10, then it's a win, win, win for everybody. And then you can be like, okay, how do you think, Leco, that you can become, you know, an influence, positive influence to help Nutella grow? (laughs) It's about category growth. And here's the story with Red Bull. When Red Bull came out and then Monster came and Rockstar and other energy drinks People thought, oh my gosh, that must be bad for Red Bull. No. no. Red Bull's overall revenue number just skyrocketed because there was much more awareness around the product, the category. And there's more- still plenty of people that ask us, what do you do with a chocolate spread? And Nutella has been in the US market in US stores for 10, 15 years. So ultimately, and that's what we believe is that you see that with other categories. So again, we're not reinventing anything. Yeah, We're applying and- what is out there and we believe we can be that driver in that very niche category, but being at the right time, not too early, not too late, in a niche category and be the number two, it's a darn appealing spot to be in. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And that's why I said it's not the same product, right? It's it's same category, but not definitely not the same product. Correct. But when you guys went to market, right? Like you have your product how did you approach retailers? Like it is one of the hardest things I think that, you know, whenever you're working with retailers or distributors, getting them and convincing them that, you know, to take your product, right. And to sell it in stores. And it's different when sometimes, you know, when you're actually already in the stores or, and they see how well it's doing, that's a different story to keep growing. But how did you take that first step? Like take us back to that moment and tell us how that was. Well, we're very lucky to live in the Chicagoland area because the Chicagoland area probably has one of the most diverse grocery landscapes between major retailers and small mom and pops. And you're looking at it. I mean, Brahm and I went and knocked on doors and we looked at local retailers. And, you know, the premise there was to start small and to learn from the retailers that we got into, listen to them, listen to the consumers. But we really wanted to start with small localized chains. And, you know, we introduced our product, shared the differences and asked for a chance really as local retailers. And that was really our, our strategy in the beginning. You know, you have to, you know, crawl before you walk or walk before you run. So, you know, our intention from the gate was not to be nationwide within the first year. It was to really have these baby steps and grow incrementally and smart and learn as we go. And obviously we know what we know about business, but then it's also important to listen to your retailers listen to your distributors and listen to your consumers and adapt that, you know, within reason as you're you're growing your brand and your company. So then what happened? So like you guys went to the small retailers and kind of mentioned something that's a little bit interesting too, is like being able to adapt to what feedback, right? That consumers or distributors or retailers give you. Did you guys go back and remake any, or like fix your product a little bit or change a little bit of things with that feedback? Oh, definitely. And and so it's all progression, right? It's all, what is that first objective? Yeah. And so as we're talking to an audience of business owners or people that maybe have an interest in in doing this, 
the approach we always took was let's allocate some money because this is an investment story. An investment story means you put up cash and you're going to you're going to use that cash and at the end by the time you're done using you have nothing left. Right? That, that, let's <laughs> yeah, call yeah. it what it is. Yep. It's you yep. put 20 grand in the take bank. Take the fear away. It's going to Take go the fear away. away. Like, you put 20 like grand in, in the bank. Yeah, 20 20 grand is in the bank. You're setting some objectives and what you know for sure is that by the time you're done your 20 grand is gone but you don't know the outcome of what you're going to achieve. And so our approach has been very systematic. And we literally started with five grand. We're like, let's bring products and let's do this. And can we achieve this? And then we did, and we did better. And then we added 15 grand. And our personal investment grew over time. Each time, go back to the bank, to our own bank, right? Pull money out, put it in the business. So when you have 28, that's how we started. 2017, we had 28 local Chicago-based retailers. And the reason we went local is, first of all, they can make decisions on the spot. You go to somebody literally with a case of product in your car, say, who's in charge? Well, I'm in charge. I own it or I'm the son of whoever. And I said, we want to be in your store. Okay, well, what's in there for me? Here you had Jen's background. So we immediately invested in a sampling team. Young kids who went out to a store coached by Jen it's so cute. You should see the pictures. Aww. I mean, it looked cute. It was somewhat professional, but definitely room for improvement, right? But we did a good job because we brought the message and we said to them, here's 12 jars, take the risk. $77.88 to be exact. I still remember it. They put the product on the shelf and we committed to be in their store on a Saturday or a Sunday at least three times to help sell products. Jen was there herself. We were driving around, dropping off tables, dropping off sample cups. I mean, rolling up your sleeves and be there. Stop a grandma in her tracks and say, hey, your grandkids, do they like chocolate spread? Oh, they love it. Well, try it. And people tried it, bought it. And talking about a win, right? That's how we open up the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know how cool that is when you're in a Jewish deli on the North Shore? Call out <laughs> to them. And, and you're there. Awesome and Jen... Deli. Kaufman's Deli, and you're there, and which was Jen with her sampling background, developing the message because you can't tell teenagers what to say if you don't know what the message is. So you do that yourself. You develop this, the, the message because you listen to what people say. You know how cool that is to realize and Jen coming home and said, Brom, I was there three hours and seven people bought a jar. Oh seven God. families <laughs> will have Lekko for breakfast tomorrow. How cool is that? That's yeah. amazing. So those are wins, right? Yeah. And then you do that and keep doing that because you're, you're right and not right, Lahari, by saying it's getting in a store that is the most difficult. It's a complex. It's difficult. You know what is the most difficult? Is stay in a store. Mm -hmm. That's because also the, true. Store, Very accurate. Yep. the store is an investment of the retailer. If you do not produce to their investment, you're out. And once you're out, you don't come back in. Nope. So if a retailer doesn't want to give you a chance yet, you can still go back. But once you are in, there's no going back. Does that make sense? Yep. No, that and makes so perfect sense. 28 stores, self-distribution, self-sampling, do everything yourself. We had what, 300 cases? Is that right? Yeah. About 4,000 jars is what we sold yeah. that year. So 4,000 jars from a revenue perspective, it's peanuts to the money you've invested. <laughs> <laughs> But 4,000 jars that you're yeah. able to sell to families in Chicago, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it was good enough for Jewel, who's our, our market leader here. Jewel is part of Albertsons. And they saw us 
And they had a summit, which was like local businesses, because Jewel loves local. And call out to Jewel, thank you for the opportunity. Jewel gave us the opportunity for a buyer meeting, which is actually the most complex thing in a retail chain is get the buyers, buyers. meeting. Yep. There we go. Jen and I, 20 minutes from our house, Jewel Osco's corporate headquarters, and you drive and you go pitch like your life depends on it. And they give you the chance. And then you get into, now you're like, oh my gosh, we're in 170 stores or 160 stores. And that's how it grows. 28 stores year one, 225 stores year two, 550 stores year three. We're now in our fourth year. We're in 2,250 stores. And that's how that grows. And you're talking about, did you change your product? Did you change your, you have to change so much. There's a bit of a lengthy story, but it's an interesting one. Price setting. What is the right price for your product? Because this is a very early conversation. You're a CFO background, right? Yep. So here you sit in front of your computer by yourself doing a price elasticity calculation. What is the price that the market consumer will pay for it? And now you need to start calculating back. What is the margin that the retailer wants to take? What is the margin for distribution? What's the margin on your broker that you're going to have to pay? And ultimately, you come at a gross sales cost per jar. And then you need to calculate back, okay, but what is my gross margin going to be? And where is my cost of goods sold? (laughs) And you need to go do this exercise while you haven't even sold a single jar. Because if you cannot create the right value calculation and everything I just said, forget it. Don't even start. And then you need to start calculating that so that when you're going to scale, where are you going to be? Because a certain moment, and we are there, you're sitting in front of investors. Well, an investor needs to see a healthy gross margin. Because if you did all what we did and you took all the financial risks and now you landed at a gross margin of 30%, bye-bye opportunity. It's not going to happen. Yep. Right? And so even there, we saw an issue because what we thought was the market price Jewel gave us a chance to go in 160 stores and Jewel took our market price down with 33%. Wow. And we're like, oh, holy cow. What we thought was our market price to the consumer, you know, regular MSRP, Kroger positioned it 30% lower. And Jewel was willing to work off a small margin because we're a local company. But that new price setting from Jewel created a structural problem for our value chain because we couldn't operate at $6.99 where we thought it would be $9.99. So what do you do? So what do you do is, is that you go to back to the drawing Drawing board board. while being there, Lahari, back to the drawing board (laughs) and you go from a large glass jar to a smaller plastic jar. And ultimately we have, instead of a 14 ounce glass jar, we have now a nine and a half ounce plastic jar, which makes that I can ship instead of 19,000 jars in a container, we ship now 47,000 jars in a container, Yeah. which makes that our price point is not $6.99, but we actually brought it to $5.99. Wow. And at $5.99, we're operating at right now at a gross margin of anywhere between 55 to 59% gross margin. That's amazing. But you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to yeah. do it while you're driving this car. 
Yeah. We're on the road and it has to happen while on the fly. Another thing that I think was a really interesting learning is glass. Here we thought we're going to put our product in glass jars. It's eco-friendly. Yay us. Everyone's going to love it. Retailers hate glass. And here we are thinking we're here for the win. It's heavy. It's breakable. GMs of stores and their staff are moving things around all the time. You know, if, if your product breaks, you know who's responsible for that? Us. Yeah. You know, it's not the store. So, you know, we had some hard ones too. And so, you know, all these little things like, you know, that brought my attention, it's, you know, you do listen to your retailers. You do listen to that pricing structure. You know, we receive some great consumer feedback as well. All these things are part of the evolution of kind of what brought us to today. Yeah. And no, I 100% agree. And I think one amazing thing that you guys did that some companies might not realize or not do from the beginning is kind of, like you said, go back to the drawing board and look, start from the beginning, right? Like work backwards. Like if this is your price, what do your margins have to be? How do you get there? And a lot of people forget, especially working with retailers, all of the fees that go along with it. Like you said, if anything is damaged, that's the responsibility is on who it's the company, like, right. If returns are happening, who's that on? It's on you, the company, it's all charged back to you, you know, and that all plays into your margins of your product. Because once somebody returns a food product, it's not really usable, especially if it's been open. So, you Lahari, know, <laughs> this is exactly what we said earlier on, right? It's yeah. the difference between being a food startup where yep. you buy 500 bottles in your kitchen, make a barbecue sauce go to an online platform, design your label, put your label on a jar and go to a food stand. And now proudly you can say, I have a food company. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. The next one is how do you get into mass distribution and into the grocery stores? Yeah. Because if anything, for example, COVID has teached us is that food items are being bought locally in your grocery store. It is mm -hmm. literally the Kroger's, the Albertsons, the Whole Foods, they were the ones that literally kept America alive mm -hmm. because that's where we got our food from. There's a reason why, you again, here is a financial yeah. whiz. Yeah. There's a reason why Kroger's stock price went up 30-fold, not 30%, 30-fold, because they were showing that you don't ship a jar of Lacko necessarily over an e-commerce platform. You go and grab that from the shelf. That's where you get that. Right? There's a lot of products for the consumer that are ideally to be used and sold through e-commerce, clearly the success of an Amazon, but there's nothing wrong with the good old grocery store because here a jar of Lacko is $5.99 on Amazon. To make it make sense, you're at $9.99 a jar. And again, yeah. it's to everybody needs to earn money while being on Amazon. So while Amazon is an enabler early on because you can get your product out everywhere, what we found is there's nothing wrong with the good old-fashioned grocery store as your channel to get your product in the mouth of people. And that is what we're going for. We need to be on a shelf in a grocery store for mainly the mom who does her grocery shopping and walks the aisles and is there to go and grab a jar of spreadable. Yeah. That's who we need to appeal to. Yeah. And you know, both of you guys have a lot of experience, right? Like before starting this company and have a, various skill sets that you're able to utilize within Leco and make it successful and get it to where it is. And were there any other strategic partners or advisors that played an important role in your success so far? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
it's all about the mindset. How do you build a company? And again, you go back, right? We're in our 40s and, and what have you learned? And there's, there's, there's management philosophies. My management philosophy is, is that know where your strengths are, but know where your weaknesses are, yep. right? I am unapologetically aware of my strengths, and don't come in my field on that because I know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking. No, and I'm yeah, that's good. I'm not humble about it. I know exactly yeah. what I know, and I'm actually darn good at it, right? Yeah. So that is my lane, but I also know where somebody else needs to be in their lane, equally to maybe better than where I'm at. So if we're building our company, that is the approach. I stay out of Jen's lane in marketing. And Jen stays out of my lane where it's about running and building this company. But here's what a lot of people forget. A lot of people that go into food startups, they think, oh my gosh, I've worked for Procter & Gamble for so long. Mm -hmm. I've had a bit of money. I'm doing this. Well, we're first of all, two life partners. We're willing to take the financial risks and the emotional risks and all the investment that comes with it together, which is hopefully whoever starts a food company, find have a partner that's willing to go in with you. But then if that partner is not part of the business, he might not understand the leverage that it puts on your financial situation of how far you have to invest. So because we were both involved, you can do it. But what we realized really early on is that even with Jens, I mean, kick-ass skill set in brand marketing, and with my skill set in my field, Mm -hmm. there were gaps, huge voids in our skill set. So your question is, have you had other people join in that were instrumental in this? But one person who was instrumental, who is part of our management team, right, is Mark. Call out to you, Mark, who is an expert in sales and distribution. Can I figure out sales and distribution in grocery stores? Sure, I can. But I'll make Mm -hmm. mistakes along the road. And we cannot make mistakes. We have made mistakes, but you need to keep them to the minimum. So what we're doing in our approaches in finance and operations, we have a, a team member. We have one in sales and distribution. You have Jen and you have myself. And way beyond the maturity level of our company, we actually have members in our management team who are all equally to maybe better than Jen and I are in their field. And I attribute that to to the success that we've been able to get this quick, this fast. That's amazing. What are like some of the emotional risks that you feel like that you guys took to get this company started? Patience. Patience. <laughs> There's like, quite honestly, yeah. you know, in my background too, and I'm from Chicago, so we have a tendency to be type A. You want everything done yesterday, and that's just not how it goes. Like, yeah, I'm type yeah, A too. Do. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, come on, let's get this done. Yeah. Plus, you know, I drink a lot of Red Bull for about 20 yeah. years, so you know, it's it's still in the veins. But you know, quite honestly, is you know, as far as the emotionalness, I think, I mean, it's there, but I think having the patience to trust the process. You know, you'll go in to a buyer, like I'll use Kroger, for example. You have a December meeting, you get an answer maybe in Q1, and then you get a rollout four to five months later. So it isn't, when you're talking to some of these bigger retailers, these bigger entities, you don't have a meeting and it's a high five, let's do this. It's a long process. So you do have to really trust that process and be able to enjoy the journey. You know, COVID, great example, right? Everyone thought the world was different before COVID. Now you're just thinking differently. and and really, you know, of course, you're concerned on the health aspect around the world, but business-wise, too, you have to have that patience and that flexibility and that agility to adapt to things that you maybe can't control and, and have a very clear set mind, you know, mindset of, of what your next benchmarks are 
And sometimes they change. Um, and that yeah. finish line changes and it gets pushed out. You know, and I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm, we're very lucky, Brad and I being partners in life and also in business, we have a very open conversation on, on you know, good subjects and challenging subjects. Same with our leadership team. It's a very holistic and healthy conversations all the time. And we're not afraid to ask those questions. So kind of the emotional side of it or those risks, I think we're very clear-minded and we all kind of nicely keep each other in check, but we're also very realistic of, of, of what to expect at times. So I'm going to try to give a quantitative answer to, to emotional and risk, right? Yeah. Because you might have figured this out, Lahari, uh, by now I'm the numbers guy on, on yeah. this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely moments where you just, it's actually good that you don't exactly know how tricky and complicated this whole thing becomes. Because if you know that from the beginning, you won't do it, right? So, so embrace that mm-hmm. portion. What I would say is, is in order to give you the emotional rest, there's two elements. Embrace your inner you, and I'll talk to you in a second. But the second one is every decision you make, always think through what is the worst possible outcome of this and hold that mirror up and even write it out black on white on paper and realize this could be the worst case scenario. Like write it out on a piece of paper and say, this is it. Like that's the decision we're to make. Are we willing to take that risk? And meaning, are you willing to take that risk? That means you could lose it all and will you be fine or not? Yeah. And if you lose it all, where does that put you? And think that scenario through. That gives for a very interesting conversation between a husband and a wife yeah. with a 15-year-old yeah. and an 11-year-old. <laughs> While, like, where are you on that? Yeah. But once you've put that out there, and then you can make that decision mutually in, in equality. Everything we decide, Jen and I, it is 100% equal 50-50. If we're both not fair with this, it's not happening. No decision yeah. gets pushed on the other one. But when it's written out like that, then you have to switch your mind and say, okay, I don't want the worst case scenario to be the outcome. But if it happens to be, I can live with it. We'll pick ourselves up and we'll do it over again, or we will go from there. And so accepting that possible worst case scenario gives you inner peace. Now you can proceed. Now you can move forward. Does that make sense? Yep. No, that makes and, sense. And that is, I think, because that's the most complex one, because you truly do not understand what it takes and how far you have to proceed to get to the moment where maybe somebody else is willing to join in in the risk of building this company from a financial perspective. Yeah, this is all gold. So thank you so much. And this was a great conversation. And I feel like there was a lot, you know, that anyone can learn from this, from starting any business and especially the consumer product goods businesses. So thank you guys so much. How can the listeners connect and follow your journey and also the company? So you can follow us everywhere on social media. So all of our handles are the same. It's at Leco and it's at L-E-K-K-C-O. So we're everywhere on social. We've got great recipes. You can look at our website, Leco.com, and you can really discover where to buy us, how to try us, and uh, some deliciousness. One thing I'd love to just bring up right now, you know, especially during these interesting times kind of in our world is... You know, we had a great marketing plan through COVID and then everything changed, you know, when COVID hit as far as, you know, consumer engagement and trial and, 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 and. So we actually launched a campaign called Spread the Love. 
And without being able to go to events right now and do in-store sampling, we definitely allow consumers to try our product. So what we do is we actually ship a 12-jar box of Leco to consumers, allow them to try it. We insert this beautiful little communication card that tells all about the company, about our product, where to buy it, some recipes. And then we give them an opportunity to spread the love themselves. So they can give a jar to a friend, say, hey, try this product. It's delicious. And give them a communication card and a postcard that is prepaid for us. They put their address on, send it back to us, and we'll send them a spread the love care package. So really during these times right now, it's a great way to kind of have something nice that shows up in your mailbox and a great way to try our product. So, you know, two ways they can really connect with us. It's really who we are. We're all about positivity. We're all about a great, healthy product. And we're all about sharing is caring. So that's a really fun campaign as well. So if anyone who's listening wants to DM us on, they have to follow us on our social handles and send a direct message and tell them they listen to the podcast. That's a, we'll, we'll How about this? We'll Anybody who wants to send an email to hello at Leco, so H-E-L-L-O at Leco, Leco is L-E-K-K-C-O.com. Send us an email with your address and you'll receive from us a, a spread the Leco love box. Again, we're, we're counting on the fact that when you get 12 jars of chocolate spread, keep a couple for you to try, three, four, try all flavors, and then spread the love, spread the word for us, with us, Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that campaign as the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, don't we all need a little bit more love in these days? And don't we all mm-hmm. love we to do. spread some love? And if you're a chocolate spread, it's all about spreading the word and spreading the love. And that's our campaign. Yeah. And so send us an email and, and become part of our movement to get Leco in every household. And, uh, and that's what yeah. we're ready to do. I love it. Well, thank you, Jennifer and Bram, for getting on here. And we're going to keep spreading the love. So (laughs) thank you for sharing your powerful story and your journey within the company. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Even though Jennifer and Bram are building a brand with a key advantage of their combined and considerable professional experience, a half-century-old proven recipe and a great mission of purpose. Every success, each new retailer relationship, successful product launches, and every next sale has been met by asking the question, then what? As Bram stated, the best way to keep the company moving forward is to never really pause, to avoid the assumption that you've made it. It must always be about, okay, what comes next? That may be the tastiest ingredient of all. Then What is produced by Ellen Accounting Advisor in partnership with Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. The views and opinions expressed are those of the individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Ellen Accounting Advisor or Mouth Media Network. No portion of this program should be considered financial advice or consultation. Thank you for listening.